My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Are we ready to get started this morning? We are going to start reading uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. If you want to get out your Bibles and follow along. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and all people and people were coming to him from every quarter. So that's Mark 1. Um, My name is Darla Skinner. I'm not a teacher. Um, I'm not passionate about teaching like Jim is. Um, But I am very passionate about learning the Word of God. Um, That's why I love this class so much, is that we we study the Word of God. That's very um, meaningful to me. Um, But I'm also passionate about being obedient to the opportunities that God sets before me. And Jim saw fit to ask me to teach today, and so I said yes. I don't have any good reason for saying no. That's what I told him. Um, Yes, I'm scared. Yes, I might mess up, Um, but I'm being obedient to what the Spirit has put before me today. Um, I wanted to rewind just a little bit to the passage that um, Jim talked about last week, mostly because I have always been just a little bit unclear about the kingdom of God. So on my own, before uh, he taught last week, I was kind of like, okay, I need to get this nailed down. Um, So 
verse 14 is the one that Jim taught last week. And, and it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, we learned last week that the gospel of God is literally Jesus was preaching about himself, which is kind of weird if you think about it, because we always focus on, can you imagine teaching about yourself, just standing up and, you know, teaching the gospel of yourself, which would not be appropriate. But he taught about himself. He was preaching, um, and we learned that that proclaiming was over and over. So he's doing this constantly, the same message. Um, and he's presenting this kingdom of God. And so when I started studying a little bit about the kingdom, I, <clears throat> I was kind of like, well, you know, I, there's several very familiar passages that refer to the kingdom, uh, such as when Jesus was uh, teaching the disciples to pray, and he says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. That didn't really define anything for me. Uh, and then there's that famous passage that we all remember about when the disciples were pro prohibiting the little children from coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, hold up. This is what the kingdom of God is made of. Um, that's a sweet verse, um, especially, um, you know, when it when you put it in the context of the faith of a little child, but it didn't really define the kingdom for me. And then one of my favorite passages is Gabriel's message to Mary when she was when he was telling her that she was going to bear the Son of God, and he says, "And of his kingdom there will be no end." Well, that is directly from the Old Testament. It's a passage. Um, it will actually, it's a lot of different passages in the Old Testament. But um, that still didn't really, you know, define it for me. And so I consulted uh, my favorite uh, theologian, Wayne Grudem, and see, to see what he had to say about it. And um, this is what I learned, which I kind of already knew, but I had never really solidified it in my own mind. But the kingdom is not the church. It's not what we're doing here. Um, and the kingdom is not entirely in the future. And that was kind of surprising to me because I learned that we experience somewhat of what it is like in the kingdom of God here in that um, we can have a measure of victory over sin. Um, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and we can uh, rely on and act on the power of the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, we experience measures of healing. Uh, God doesn't heal everybody now, but uh, He does do healing. I do believe in that. Um, but eventually, Jesus will return, and His kingdom will reach and extend over all of creation. So it is something that's future, but at this part of Scripture, like Jim talked about last week, this is a pivotal verse in the ministry or in this book particularly, that um, Jesus begins preaching about himself and offering this kingdom that uh, is something that is a literal, it's a literal kingdom, um, but he's offering this kingdom and if you think about uh, all the Old Testament prophecies, 
there's a lot of talk about kingdom. I mean, there was, uh, it was prophesied like just what we talked about with Gabriel. He's like, hey, this baby, his kingdom will have no end. Um, that's all from Old Testament prophecy. And then you think about those silent 400 years, and Jim reminded us last week that there may not have been some things being written down, but God was at work, so it really was not a silent 400 years. But in the minds of the, Jew, the Jewish people at that time, when you, when you mentioned kingdom, they knew exactly what you were talking about. And um, they were, they thought they were poised and ready for the kingdom because they were looking for certain things to happen, which will happen, but they were a little bit confused about when they were going to happen. Um, you see, when they heard Jesus mention this kingdom, that the kingdom was at hand, the picture didn't look quite like they thought that it should look. Um, they, they didn't see what they were looking for, and they didn't hear what they thought he should say in relation to this kingdom. I imagine when they heard, hey, the kingdom is at hand, I imagine they, they thought his next words were going to be, all right, let's, uh, you know, I need to get some cabinet members here. I need to start selecting my uh, department heads and, I need some military leaders and some advisors. And there were no lack of people who were willing to fulfill those positions. But there was a couple of little words that came after um, the kingdom is at hand. And they were repent and believe. And that's not exactly what they were hoping to hear. Um, Repenting and believing really became sticking points for the Jewish nation um, because there was no grandfathering in of, okay, the kingdom is here, let's all, you know, we're in, let's, let's get this set up. Um, Jesus was presenting a kingdom that required a personal decision to enter into, uh, repentance and faith. When we um, were in college, we weekly had to stand and uh, recite our, the confession of faith. And uh, that's forever burned in my mind. Uh, one of the, the phrases in there was, the conditions to salvation are repentance and faith. That's all. There's nothing else. Um, and so when I, when I was like repenting and believing, oh, yeah, that's... That's where they got that from. You know, they based it on the Bible, thank goodness. Um, so there was no grandfathering into the kingdom. You know, just because you were a Jew, you were going to be um, ushered in and given a role. And um, But they were not willing to repent uh, from several things, from their misunderstanding of who he was. He didn't look like that. what they thought he should look like. Um, they were not willing to repent from what they wanted, which really was a political climate. They were looking for uh, freedom from their oppression. Um, they were not looking for submission to his authority. They, that's, that wasn't part of what they were looking for. Um, they were not 
willing to give up their list-checking, idol-making hearts. And quite frankly, sometimes neither am I. But that's what Jesus required of us. Simply, they were looking for a kingdom, but they didn't want a king. They were looking for that... uh, where Jesus comes in and makes everything right and we're we're good to go. Um, we will start seeing uh, right after this passage, Jesus starts challenging all of their uh, all their practices, the things that they did that made them feel good about themselves, their lists and their idols too. Um, including one such as you know working on the Sabbath, they get him for that. And, um, but we do the same thing. We want Jesus to come and show us, sh- show up and perform for us, show himself mighty in these things that we struggle with, in our healing and in our, uh, our relationships. And um, we look at our own circumstances and the things that we think we need, and we decide what kind of Jesus we need. And we decide uh, what... We, we decide what we need, and then we uh, relentlessly ask for this thing. And uh, I'm not against praying for your needs, uh, but the older I get, the more I realize, that for me, prayer is not so much about asking for the things that I need. <clears throat> it's become more of a stillness and a quietness and a realigning of what I think I need with what he wants. And so, yeah, I have people who have needs in their life uh, that I pray for, and I come to the Lord and I bring these things. But sometimes that healing is not what we really need. Sometimes what we really need is to be more like Jesus. And so the healing doesn't come or the problem isn't resolved because he wants us to sit there a little while and he wants to use that thing to realign our hearts to his and what he wants but that's just a little sidetrack there on prayer so I do believe in praying um, for what you need but sometimes we don't know what we need we think we know what we need well you know when I was raising my children, excuse me, I have two uh, sons that I raised and that we raised, excuse me. And I thought that what I needed was uh, compliance and obedience. And that was my goal. It became an idol for me, really, quite frankly. Um, But I had some really wonderful people who came alongside of me and uh, told me and showed me and led me and prayed for me that um, you know, that's, that's God's work to do in their hearts. And my job was to be um, faithful and obedient to training them in the way of the Lord. And uh, in the interim, after they became adults, I realized, and I've told both of my children this, that, thank you, that God's plan, God's biggest tools in my life to change me and make me just like Him were my children. And so he did not make my children uh, compliant or obedient all the time. And he did not uh, <clears throat> give me honor roll children either. I'm sorry to say, but 
I, that was something I just couldn't quite figure out how, I mean, they were very smart, but anyway, <laughs> that's not something that happened. And quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm in a small group on Wednesday nights and we, a couple of months ago, did a Bible study on idols and mm, that was one of my idols uh, because what they did on the outside somehow I thought made me look bad, you know, and so how dare you make me look bad, but it didn't bother them. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not against praying, but sometimes we pray for the wrong things. We pray for what we think we need instead of asking God to do what we need him to do. Jesus presented himself to us as what we need. He, he, he was what we needed. He was what the Jews needed. And we have a choice to reject him, as the Jews did, as a nation. Not all Jews rejected him, as we'll learn quickly. Um, or we can repent and believe. Jesus came to offer us uh, what we really needed, which was salvation. Um, do you remember the... I don't, didn't ask Jim to put it up here, but the mountain range image that Jim puts up here uh, with the fulfillment of prophecies, and you've got your closer mountain range, and then way off in the distance, you've got that real light purple little mountain range there. The Jewish nation was looking way out there, that little farthest point for that kingdom that he was going to be setting up. And there were a couple of things, a, clo a few closer fulfillments um, that they didn't either see or chose not to look at. Um, but namely, it was the suffering and the dying Savior, which had to happen. And also the church age, which, by the way, is a mystery, was a mystery. Um, but they wanted the earthly kingdom before submitting themselves to the king. That's pretty much basically what we do also. Um, but as always, Jesus is our example. And I'm going to read to you Philippians 2.6. And it says, Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, we're going to transition now into the next passage where Jesus starts to hand select his disciples. And um, of course, he didn't have monster or indeed available to him for hunting down the, you know, the best uh, disciples, if people, you know, could do that. Um, he didn't go to the educated or the religious. Um, instead, he went to some smelly, dirty fishermen. Um, when I was growing up, my dad was an avid fisherman. And when I say avid, I mean every weekend of his life. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes, Sunday. He fished. And he was, I mean, his whole world was fishing. And this was pretty much 
I, I would say my whole life. Um, I grew up knowing all about fish, what kind of fish there are out there. Of course, he was a bass fisherman first, and um, I knew all about the lures. Uh, when I was a kid, we would help him load his reels with fresh line, and we did. We even made our own uh, lures. Uh, of course, me being a girl, I was uh, his only daughter and the oldest child. I got to do a lot of fun things, you know, help dad do all of his fishing stuff. But there's one thing that's unmistakable about fishing, and that is um, there's, it's smelly. It's a smelly job. Uh, we had, my dad had every known whatever, you know, paraphernalia you needed for fishing, and he had a certain ice chest or cooler because if you ever put fish in there, it's always going to smell like fish always. So you didn't have the one, you didn't use the same one when you went on a picnic or whatever. No, you had your one that stayed in the boat. And uh, my dad had boats, you know, we had a Washita, I don't know how many feet was it? I don't even know, Evan Rood on the back, you know, I mean, we did it all. And when I was a, a little girl, we would be, my mom would sometimes let us wait up for him to come home at night with the fish that he would catch and on Sunday nights of course and uh, we would always be so excited to run out and say how you know how did it go did you catch much and he would always always have a big I don't know any time that he ever went out and didn't catch a lot but then you know we had to do something with that fish and then that involved the cleaning which I can clean just about any fish uh, well freshwater fish I don't we didn't never do anything with saltwater fish but um, I remember the funniest thing when we were little and we, he did different kind of fishing, bass fishing, of course that requires filleting and, you know, guts and all that stuff, which never bothered me because I grew up around that. And uh, so, you know, he would fillet, he had all these special knives. I mean, there's a whole, it's a whole world. And, um, but my favorite part was when, we couldn't handle the knives, but when we did uh, white perch, I'm from Texas, so that's what we call them there. I don't know what y'all call them here, but he would let us as kids get a spoon and we would clean on, on a white perch. You don't fillet those. Usually they're, you know, just pan size. So you would get a spoon and you would turn it the opposite direction and scrape all the scales off. We thought that was great fun. And, uh, you know, and you would have it everywhere and it's sticky and it's slimy and all this. And, my mom would, you know, quickly bring us in after all that and give us a bath. A couple of days later, I don't know if this ever happened to y'all, but you'd look down and you'd have a fish scale stuck to your arm. Like just one random little, because I mean, they're sticky. And you'd be like, and you could just peel it off. But that happened to me hundreds of times. Um, but fishing is smelly and it's dirty and it's... Uh, in um it, it's not for educated people i mean obviously yeah um in acts 4:13 i found a very interesting little um verse where peter uh calls himself an unschooled ordinary man and that was kind of my thoughts to begin with about you know Jesus going to these fishermen, but he says, hey, I'm unschooled and, and ordinary. And that's exactly um, what they were. 
But that's where Jesus decided to go and pick his disciples. And he's walking along uh, by the Sea of Galilee, which is also the same as the Lake of Gennesaret. Um, and in Mark, after I, I read this, I, I got to be honest with you, I was not a little disappointed at the lack of details uh, that Jesus gives about calling these four men. I was like, I got to have more. It kind of reminded me of some of you ladies who probably had this situation before where somebody has a baby and your husband comes home and says, so-and-so had their baby. And you're like, what was it? I don't know. It was a baby. (laughs) What did they name it? I didn't ask. How much did it weigh? I don't know. They had a baby. Was everything okay? I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I got to have some details here. I'm a woman. I, you know, was it a boy? Was it a girl? Would they name it? How many pounds was it? You know, is the mother and the baby fine? Was it a C-section? Was it... I got to have some details. So I went to Luke where, thank goodness, Luke gives me some great details. I mean, Luke really gives us some good details here. So... If you'll go, if you'd like to, you can turn to Luke 5. If not, I'm going to read it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which was not random, by the way, Uh, that he got into Simon's boat. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he talked to people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, this story makes a lot more sense to me. And I know that Mark wrote what the Holy Spirit led him to write, but I need some details. Um, So, as I said before, uh, you know, here, here we have some real candidates for the kingdom. Some real candidates because they were a little closer to, to doing what Jesus wanted them to do. Um, when he got into Peter's boat, like I said, that wasn't random. Uh, he knew that was Peter's boat. And uh, the miracle of the fish, he says, push out and let down your nets. Peter was obedient. Now, I mean, after he had fished all night and wasn't very successful at it, I'm not sure that... I, I'm just the kind of person that would say, now we tried that already. It didn't work. Next. But not Peter. I mean, he, he did exactly what the Lord asked him to do. He pushed out and threw the nets over. Um, 
And then he says something which is very interesting to me, um, mostly because we know so much about Peter. I, I didn't, you know, a lot of times we talk about Peter's denial and Peter's, you know, foot in mouth disease and all this other negative stuff we say about Peter. We we have his we have his writings, we have his sermons, we have so many of his dialogues that are recorded for us, and yet we have a tendency to stick to the negative. Um, like I said about his betrayal, he was impulsive, you know, Peter, Peter, Peter. But here we see a part of Peter that I had never, I mean, I've read this before, but I didn't really think that much about it. Peter humbled himself. He showed humility. When he saw the miracle that Jesus did, he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That sounds a lot like repent and believe that Jesus was asking for. Um, and it's amazing what... it. Just go on over to the book of Acts if you have time sometime and read the things that Peter said and the things that Peter did. Amazing. The way God used him. And yet we like to, you know, poke fun at him. Uh, from Peter's own words, First Peter 5, 5 and 6, Peter said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That sounds like he had some personal experience with humility and uh, submission to God. Um, but you know, just like the Jews, repentance is a problem for us as well. You know, um, we live in a time where if we don't agree with this, then we have a tendency to um, go somewhere where we can find a place that, that will agree with our pet sin, whatever that is. We have whole denominations right now that are trying to decide if, if they're going to do this or do their own thing. Um, it's sad but it's happening. Um, we, you know, we're, 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 we throw around acceptance and tolerance and love and kindness and, you know, what would Jesus do? And they, this is the premise of their denomination or their sect or whatever is that, hey, you know, Jesus was kind and, and he loved everybody and yeah, he did. But he also called us to repent and to believe. And repentance is hard because you have to humble yourself and you have to say, I'm, I'm wrong. That, that's not what this lays out for me. Um, we we want to have Jesus and our sin. We want to add the, the goodness of Jesus and all the things that come with him to our sin. We don't want to turn around and leave that behind. Um, we demand acceptance um, based on our pet sins and we forget that acceptance by God is based on repenting and believing. We can't leave that out. We want the kingdom without the king. And you 
can't have that. Uh, so we're going to end with several applications here. If you expect to enter into the kingdom, you're going to have to repent and believe. Um, follow Peter's example. Humble yourself and become obedient to Jesus. And lastly, you can always trust Jesus for what you need and not what you want. Jesus is going to supply your need. If you think you need something and you don't have it, you don't need it. Because Jesus is going to supply your every need. Alrighty, you can um, lean in. It's one of my favorite phrases that Jim uses. Because I need to hear that, lean in. Because I'm not, I'm always pushing back. But lean in and um, write your prayer requests down, please. And make any updates that you have to that list so that I can get that squared away for you. And thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.